Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo. I'm here with uh, some people have described as a science insurrectionist, James Heathers from Cypher Skin. Oh, I like that's cute. Who said that? Well, you, you've you've been included. Well, you were in that universe of people. There was um there was a very uh, interesting blog post which is now paywalled that came up about a week ago, which is referencing uh, Bjorn Brems. And uh, two other folks whose names escape me um, they, they did a blog post and they were accused of being science insurrectionists. But we're not going to get into it that much here because we can't post the link because it's it's paywalled now. But I think you know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. But well, either this is of no consequence and someone showed me and I forgot or <laughs> it's a I think genuine you've seen it. no consequence and no one showed me. I, I, then, I, 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 then I forgot, Dan. That's all right. Let, let, I, li- I like it. I like it though. The science, science insurrectionist. Yeah, that's cute. It's very cute. It's cute. Yeah. Thinking back I'll t- to, I'll take it. Thinking back to when you were a master student, James. If I was to say how you would operate within a group setting, I'm going I'm to put out a few, a few descriptive words. What, mm-hmm. what, what would you agree with? Active member, delegator, troublemaker. Self-appointed leader, quiet observer, worker bee, visionary. I can go on. Any of those things as a master student? Fuck. Visionary? Yeah. You know, group assignment for a master's. The only visions you're having is if you accidentally slipped a mushroom (laughs) into your thermos instead of coffee. No, look, I tried to be as much as I'm occasionally difficult. Um, I, I tried to be a good active member of a group. Um, I guess I'm used to being outvoted by other people I have to get along with due to things that I think. So I think active member is probably the best out of that lot. I wasn't a troublemaker. It's just making difficulty for people who didn't deserve it. I have always tried not to do that too much. Yeah. Why are you asking me such a facile question? Because this is an example of the sort of questions that people get when they have to evaluate their students when they're applying for other programs. <laughs> We're going to link to this. I saw this tweet by uh, Dr. Eliza Bliss Moreau, and there was oh, a huge, a huge long yeah. list of, this is an example of some of the things that uh, <laughs> that people have to evaluate. I saw a great example from, uh, yeah. from Gillis. You know, I Gilad saw, Feldman. I saw that. I saw that. Yes. I'm a big troublemaker. Fan. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of troublemakers in general. But, you know, they, they, need, to be, they need to be focused, Daniel. Focused troublemakers. But I saw, I saw something from, yeah. from Gilad Feldman, uh, top, top bloke, doing some really cool stuff. And he said that in 2020 alone, we're in like week three or week two of 2020, he reckons he's submitted over 100 references in 2020 alone. Which is just, it's just mental. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it's an area where no one wants to admit their, uh, their hypocrisy or the fact that they're participating in a, in a system where um, they're forced to lie, essentially, um, for the, uh, to, to, to promote the advancement of people that they care about. So it's it's another way that the systems systems that make you do this are insidious, and 
people are fully willing to admit their hypocrisy of wanting to, say, change the scientific landscape, yet publishing in Taylor and Francis journals. Um, <laughs> but they're very willing to, they're very unwilling, I'm sorry, to admit that they don't have a close personal relationship with all 80 members of their undergraduate <laughs> class who are applying for a McFuck. And it becomes more about, it becomes more about sort of like, you know, do you vibe with this person or do they just automatically say yes? Um, no one, no one wants to admit that this is like, it's partly social interrelations, um, and it's partly just fucking lies. Um, I'm glad I haven't had to write lots of dumb references because it's a waste of time and every single one of them is at the very least exaggerated and people are just doing calculus in their head of how much is appropriate to exaggerate in order for them to get their special little person across the line. Now, this is obviously a lot worse in America. I've seen European references where they're like, you know, Susanna is a capable worker. And it's like, you know what, that's probably honest and you know, capable worker sounds pretty good, but what you're supposed to do in America is go, Susanna is the second coming of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I've been here for Su seven Susanna years. Susanna can turn water into wine. <laughs> Susanna did nine RCTs by herself upside down while underwater. Please put her into whatever program she's applying to. But also, she's a genius. Uh, she, uh, she disproved the Riemann hypothesis. Um, she's a, she's a world-class tap dancer and a fourth Dan black belt of judo. Um, Elon Musk got divorced to date her, but then she turned him down because she said his head looked weird. It does look weird. He looks like a giant baby with a receding hairline. Um, and it acts like one too, which is funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. And they've got you trapped because you, you have to do it. And if you, I mean, it would be like a really antisocial act not to do it. Um, the whole, the whole, the whole thing is fucking pointless. And it is, it, it's, it's exactly the same as like college, college admissions in the US where you've got fucking essays that you're like, this is my personal experience and I'm volunteering in Botswana. Like, how, how did you get that? Did you fucking hitchhike? No, your fucking uncle gave you the money for a ticket and you flew there to take selfies for two weeks and then you came back so you could write an essay about poverty. It's all fucking furphy. And it's all it, it's all just like the whole thing, the structure of it implies hypocrisy directly. Um, and I feel bad of people who are trapped in the position, but they should at the very least admit that it's, it's fucking stupid um, and that a lot of the things that they've written literally aren't true. And if you can't do that, then you're not being honest with yourself. And I don't give a fuck what you think about me. It's just wild. I've um mm. I've been here in Norway for about seven years, and I have not provided a single written reference. Well, I haven't asked yeah, for a what, single what reference. What do you What do you do? What do you do, man? I mean, this you know what we do with jobs. We wait right till the very end. This is how we look. All the hiring that we did in um uh 2020, right? Um. Here's the thing, you do the you you talk to the people, they talk to everyone within the organization, people with the organization talk. Um sometimes a coding challenge or um, you know, some other kind of technical assessment. We pay them, we pay people to do that. Is that um, standard? I don't know if it's standard. Uh it's just sort of that's just how we do it. Um sometimes people get very difficult problems and they spend uh, a lot of time working on them. Um, because we totally want to see reasonable. how they do it, not not what the outcome is. So we pay, we pay them. We treat it as a, like a little subcontract, and we pay them. 
uh, and then we get right to the very end. We make a determination that we want them, and then we call their references on the telephone <laughs> for five minutes each at that point. Um, and then there's no fucking written reference. Yeah. And it could be from anyone, you know? Shit, are you guys an undergraduate who, who printed out their university transcripts, changed the fucking marks in Photoshop, then applied for jobs with them? No. <laughs> I mean- <laughs> not surprised. You're not. You're not supposed to do that. Also, it was it was Australia twenty years ago. I think that sort of thing was just considered cheeky rather than um, <laughs> oh, like, lying, psychotically sword. dishonest. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is, isn't it? They shouldn't have. Um, but I mean, we we did the same thing here. Like we only get to the point when we're in the final two or three. That is when we will begin, and we'll, yeah, exactly the same thing. We'll call references. Give them a call. Uh, often we have a standardized set of questions. Call them up. Chat to them. And then go from there. We're not requiring. I don't, I don't see the logic and the persistence of uh, a system that needs such informal social information up front. You know, I think it's fucking crazy. I, I, I honestly don't see what could the logic conceivably be, unless it's because I, I don't, I don't think it's that important. I mean, the other thing is, the more famous the person's name is, it's at the bottom, the more well-known they are in general, you know, they're going to be more busy. They're less likely to have a good relationship with you. Are are you only there in the first place working for and or with them? So at some point in time, they can sign a piece of paper that has their name on it? Is the cultural currency here worth that much? The whole thing's fucking pointless. Maybe it's an historical thing because, you know, 40 years ago, there would be like four people applying for a position, usually a position would just be a handshake at a car park of a conference. Oh, you, you want to come do this postdoc? Yeah, cool, hired. And back then, <laughs> asking for a reference wasn't really that onerous because you only had a couple of people applying for positions. But now it's a different story. So I wonder whether it's just a historical thing and it's like, well, that's that's why we've always done it. Let's continue. Well, God forbid, God forbid that universities and academia in general would not change dumb historical ideas, Dan. I mean- these areas are just a, a hotbed of the innovation of process. Oh, absolutely, especially for hiring. Yeah, especially, especially for everything. <laughs> I mean, look, there's there's lots of bullshit hypocrisies at university. This is a, but they 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 do this. I mean, they give people IATs and then claim that it means something about them. Implicit association you know? task. Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's not, it's, it's, they, they imply basically that it's mechanistic and then, then say, oh, well, you, you, you did it. You've got, uh, you know, a bias towards women or you've got a touch of the racism or, or any number of other things that the test literally isn't designed to provide. Hang on, hang on. Like so you're telling me people are administering these implicit association tasks to potential employees? Is that a thing? No, no, no. They do. They do it. So once you've already become an employee, they get them with their next hypocrisy. Is what I'm uh, saying. Ah, okay, yeah, Universities, gotcha. university. A lot of universities really don't give a fuck about. Uh, uh, they genuinely, they don't genuinely care about diversity. They just appoint diversity officers and then hire a, a consultancy owned by fucking white people to do diversity training, um, and which does nothing to actually address the problem. But I mean, they love the window dressing of it. Sure. But at the end of the day, the moment the lights are out, they're going to behave like a fucking business. And those sorts of motives are the things that underlie all of the all of the silly hypocrisies. It's really base stuff. Why do we keep doing the reference letter? Because oh, it's probably harder to change it than not because we just don't care enough about the people who are supposed to be our alleged 
customers. You're the product. Mm. Academics should realize this most of the time. You're the, and a lot of the, like when, when you have a commercial interrelationship with something, generally you're the product. Generally, you're not the customer. So you reckon we Gen- can- you're either making you're either making the product or you are the product. Do you reckon we can completely discard it? Is there any need to replace it with anything? Is there anything that you think we can actually do, which is standardized and fair, or is just not possible? Well, to me, see, this is this is nothing. Nothing in this uh, area ever gets to be fair. I mean, look at all this fuss around standardized testing. You've got a standardized test. It's a way that like people people who who grew up uh, with the ass out of their trousers and were very clever and very motivated. Uh, often did very well at standardized testing and they liked it because it was standardized. It was the whole concept of an even playing field. And then you say, ah, oh, yes, but that's that's one thing. But then they send all their fucking kids to Kumon coaching and get the shit kicked out of them until the, till the, the, they're very good at filling out standardized tests. So it has become unstandardized. Um, and you end up having an argument about like whether or not that's a greater or lesser evil than the fact that uh, it's providing structure and opportunity to people who wouldn't otherwise have it i mean there's always going to be distortions in how we achieve fairness there's there's a thing in academic discourse where we're all very obsessed with fairness a lot of the time um and a lot of people try very hard to achieve it in all things um but at the same time the there's, because you know, I mean, it's just a, a lot of people in other areas of commercial life accept the fact that there's a lot of fraud and bastards and fuckers around doing fraudy, bastardy, fucky things. Yeah, but uh, there's 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 outrage a lot of the time at uh, at bad behavior in the academicals. Yeah, everyone was very harsh on the National Academy of Sciences when they said, "We're not, we're, oh, yeah, they might have done a bit of sexual harassment. We're not kicking them out." Everyone went, "Absolutely fucking unacceptable." This is like the the fact that it was even a thing in the first place. You think the fucking Greater Florida Realtors Association is doing that shit? No, they're not. They, they divest themselves completely. So we have this perpetual expectation uh, expectation of fairness um, that goes into marking and assessment. And I mean, there is a twisted logic at counting up people's papers and H indexes and shit to be able to say, like, who's doing better? I mean, it's a stupid question, but there is at the center of a lot of it an attempt to be even-handed as much as it's, like, mathematically ridiculous. Some of it is from a place of how are we going to do the co-assessment of all these different people? But then it comes to shit like grade inflation and references, and it all goes completely out the fucking window. And everyone gets an A, and everyone's my special best friend. You, those people are doing that shit every time. They just fucking grit their teeth and bear it. Like once every, you know, month, every couple of months, they go, "Wow, I'm participating in a gigantic hypocrisy that I don't believe in at all." And they participate in their hypocrisy, and then they get back to talking about fairness. <laughs> I, I think. Yeah, I- we just we just lost everyone over the age of forty. <laughs> I, I think I think at least a half solution is simply just just wait till you're in the final three, final two, final mm-hmm. three. Well, yeah. that's it's a dent. This this can be very hard because there's a the problem. The problem here is asymmetry. If you have 300 applicants and you have one position, you can wait till the final three or five, right? Yeah. But if you have uh, if you have a thousand applicants and 80 positions or 40 positions, it ends up making a lot of fucking phone calls for you. Sure. Yeah. 
the only place where it would be truly insane and where your idea makes perfect sense is if you end up manually checking the goddamn references in the first place. Okay. So you did get them all up yeah. front, and then like later on, it's like actually going to make some phone calls and check these out. Like motherfucker, you you literally just wasted everyone's time. Yeah. Well, so no, look, you're you're absolutely right, and every every sane job in every sane ish organization does it your way. It's the it's the it's the obvious it's the obvious solution. Um, I mean, the other thing that you can do, of course, I mean, you can be a little bit more proactive and don't get references. Go out and find people who worked with them yourself. It's like fucking hard, especially in academia. Oh my god, you just got long, long lists, long, long lists being transcribed in public of all the people you've associated with professionally. <laughs> go find them. Yeah, they're all out there. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to get someone on the phone. Good uh, fuck. Good. Good tip. So yes. Next 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 topic. Next next topic. <laughs> I want to talk about did this. You, did you tell all the nice people we're doing a three parter? We're doing a three parter. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're doing a three parter. There you go. Now they know. Now we've done one of the parters. Let's do the other two parters. Okay. Next one is uh, this is um, a position paper. These position papers are always interesting. Uh, this is published very recently in Current Medical Research and Opinion. Not not a journal that I frequent often. But, you know, it's, you would imagine there'd be some interesting stuff in there. But this is a position statement from, this is a bit of a mouthful, the American Medical Writers Association, the European Medical Writers Association, and the International Society for Medical Publication Professionals. So you've got the whole globe there. Amwa, Amwa, It rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Yeah, it rolls, it rolls off the tongue like a mouthful of shit. Which, interestingly, is also what I think of their own. Uh, or with their premises. Yeah, this is an open access paper, so we're going to post a link to it for everyone to read. And they give some some recommendations. And it's a joint position statement on medical publications, preprints, and peer review. And reading it, you wouldn't know it's the year 2022, especially with some of the, especially <laughs> with some of the stuff that they're saying. Look, so, so some of the stuff I partly agree with. Um, and this, this was actually brought to my attention because, uh, there was a response letter written by, um, Richard, um, Siva, who is, uh, who runs, um, uh, bioarchive and medarchive. It, uh, so, um, he, of course, he's got a lot to say about preprints and all, all that he says is quite sensible, but we're going to. He's got a lot to say in this context, Dan, because all the stuff that's in the position paper by Emily is fucking wrong. It's just. It's just not factually correct. Let, let, let's, so let, I, I hadn't I hadn't seen this response before you sent it to me, but this was my experience. I had it reading it. Oh yeah, I noticed that. Oh yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, that's oh that's wrong too. Oh that's wrong too. Oh fascinating. Okay, yep, all of that is wrong. Fuck these people. Let's um let's go through it briefly <laughs> anyway um you, you 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 go through it i think i have the tendency to get stuck on this one just 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 rattle them off okay this this is funny shit first one um issues with preprints this is that uh, they admit while preprints enable rapid release and discussion of data many are never revised yeah okay and only about a third to a half ever, ever fully published and that that is Wrong. that is incorrect at least for the big preprint servers we have the data and it's about 70%. 70% is the kind of percentage you would expect. One, we I think that figure was taken over a two-year period because you would imagine generous, generous, 
taking a generous outlook, it will take about two years for some papers to get published, some even more. So 70% reflects a, okay, maybe we're, we're entirely wrong. Let's can this thing, which is fine, which is sensible. Maybe you got feedback on your preprint and people said you're completely wrong. Maybe the title of the preprint changed and it's hard to identify and link between those two different things. But 70% is not too bad, but not this figure of 50%, which I've heard as well when I speak to people who are like, oh, I don't know about preprints. It's up to, up to. Yeah, up to 50%. Okay, next point. Uh, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it cannot easily be stuffed back in. So this is this idea that the media can run away with preprints, which are gobbledygook. And oh, sorry. Look, I, I have to, I have to, I have to do this one. Yeah, of course they can. Likewise, shitty journal articles, which have been far, especially during plague times, have had far more impact than a lot of uh, contacts. Uh, likewise, allegedly good journal articles. Likewise, uh, things that in very, in very fancy journals that are, are, are capable of the most fucking colossal distortions, but it's less important because they're from, they're from the right people. <laughs> um, there's no figure saying that there's one versus the other. In fact, in many respects, if anyone who is a, a responsible consumer of news, be they just someone who's reading about or a journalist or someone who's making decisions for journalists or someone on the television or whatever, knows what the fuck a preprint is and it's become almost like it uh, proper journalists reflexively use this as a preprint it has not been peer-reviewed no, 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 here's what it could possibly mean mm. in, the th- in in the copy that they Good journals, write yeah. or produce yeah so here's the thing and if it comes to well what's the thing but what are we what are we doing about the the fucking the media diet about simpletons it's like well, the people who are appealing <laughs> to those people are going to fucking lie in the first place yeah. yes yeah. people who start with premise and then work their way back to finding evidence for it, will always find evidence for it somewhere. Yeah? And this is to say nothing of all the fucking bullshit that think tanks write in white papers. Or all the, the fucking uh, the, the, the preprints that are like deliberately unscientific and it's really obvious that they are, but people just run off the end of the earth with them because it's possible to do. If it wasn't on a preprint server, it would just be some document on a fucking blog and people would be doing exactly the same thing. Yes, the whole idea of like it contains the ability to be distorted is just like literally everything does. It's a fucking non-issue in this context because, and this is the really important thing, the most damaging research documents have been the ones that have simultaneously the bullshit and the mistakes and also the gravitas of publication. Yeah, They have been the ones. It's when everyone always comes back to that, yeah? But the, the really dangerous high profile ones have always been it's never been some fucking unverified manuscript from a person whose name looked like you were mashing your housemate's head on a keyboard you know it's not just some fuck from some place that 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 doesn't have cut through this is the thing that everyone forgets about wakefield and the story is hackneyed so i won't tell it but when they came out with this at the free hospital in london they had a big press conference and they had all the media there and they gave little talks on exactly what it represented and they presented data. It's literally a fucking press conference, yeah. And it didn't get started because some dick on the internet was doing distortion. It got started because a major hospital in one of the the, the fucking cultural and financial centers of the world gave a big press conference to tell everyone about what a fucking fantastic idea it was, yeah. No preprint, no preprint can compete with the 
the, the, the fucking firepower that comes along with bullshit published research. And the vast majority of the time, Dan, if you were trying to tell, if you were trying to do something that was distorted or bullshit to begin with, would you just write a fucking preprint or would you find some dodgy, shitty fucking journal where you could con your way in for like $20 and a smile? Way more bank for your bucks. Yeah. So all of all of these, because I mean, these are very tired, these are very tired arguments. And it, it I, I immediately went for, like, this is a, you know, who, who are the Ameri- American Medical Writers Association? Like, who the fuck are these people? These are people it that you pay to help you write your medical articles. Is that, is, is that right? Um, it's as far as- Yeah, like, bit presumably. Of, bit of a bit of- Is it- so it's for medical writers. So sorry, hang on. The Medical Writers Association is in favor of more professionalizing of documents. No, <laughs> you're kidding. No, I, I know. I it might seem hard to believe, Daniel, but this is go, go on. Keep knocking the fucking points off. I told you I'm trying not to get exasperated and look at me go. Go on. We haven't talked about this. They, they offer some solutions. Firstly, that preprints should not be used as references in any medical publication unless these are cited in the matter of a personal communication. James, when's the last time you've seen a personal communication in a biomedical journal? Oh, I've got a personal communication for Amway Amway. <laughs> Eat shit. There you go. There's there's my professional. There's my unprofessional and uninformed. <laughs> there we go. This is this is just. It's so dramatically out of step with. It's just, it's just the, the whole idea. Just, I saw someone the other day on the internet proposing. It's like, oh, we should be keeping preprints away from the stupid people, and this should be like some I kind of world garden ecosystem that. where only we're allowed to read it in the first place. And go, well, not only does that already not exist for published research but it's literally easier to find the bad stuff because it's it's always in like low quality shitty open access journals so like what the fuck are you hoping to achieve and also do you realize that i mean it's it's not even practical how porous are the boundaries now the moment you the moment you do that someone's going to figure out a way to sci-hub it and then it's going to have even more gas because you tried to suppress the information idiot Go on, keep going. Uh, yeah, so, unless it's, it's cited in the manner of a personal communication, that is an in-text reference. So putting a DOI in text rather than a reference, uh, and, it should, <laughs> it, and it should be clearly disclosed that the source is a preprint. I mean, look, when, whenever you cite a preprint, you would cite where the preprint server is. So you'd say, you know, buy archive or I'll set preprints or site archive or whatever. So that's already kind of done. And this is what really annoys me with these things is when they suggest solutions which are already there. So they, they talk about, oh, preprint articles should be watermarked, but that's already happening with MedArchive and yeah. BioArchive. Um that there there should be a disc- there should be a disclosure in the body of the article that the findings are not being formally peer reviewed, but that's already watermarked as well with most preprint servers. So these things these things are already happening. Uh, they, they talk about pre-publication vetting. Um, some preprint servers do that. <laughs> <laughs> what they're proposing is kind of, is kind of wild in that that um, that these checks should be more extensive. But who's paying for this? That's a <laughs> yeah, I love it's the idea of it. It's 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 a preprint. It's basically what the, what they're saying. What this really amounts to is that you know how you do preprints. If you made them not a preprint, they'd be better. <laughs> yeah. 
it's essentially what it is because like I think it's good to have very basic quality control. Is this discussing yeah. science? Is it not gobbledygook? And that's what um, MedArchive and um, some preprint servers do post yeah. moderation review as well. So after <coughs> yeah. it's posted, they'll, yeah. they'll med, kind of med, med archive med see a higher bar for like harm and distortion. That's so good. There's some kind of there's some kind of check there. Yes, I believe that is that's one of their statements. That's correct. Makes a nice change. You know, but these checks should be more extensive and consistent across server host, and a comprehensive checklist should be used. Motherfucker, I don't even know if there's. I don't even know if they're doing that for all the peer, the fucking journal articles. Do you, do you know one way around this? We, we could start like the, we call it the journal of unpeer reviewed stuff and have a journal where the policy was not to peer review stuff. There you go. <laughs> Problem solved. Publish and get a DOI and publish it. But bloody check, checklists <laughs> do not work. Uh, the amount of papers that I review who said, we, we, we abided by the Prisma, the Prisma checklist for, for meta analysis reporting. They didn't. They, they, they don't. They don't. They don't actually they don't. do it. And so many no, times. They know, you, they know you're supposed to say that, Dan. I mean, just as we saw this in, in, in technical work and non-invasive physiology a fucking million times, we wrote a checklist. And I've seen people citing our literal work on this and looked at it and gone, <laughs> you're citing it, but you didn't read it. You didn't read it. <laughs> you didn't read it. It has checklists in the titles. People get all excited. Happen happens all the time. So proposing another checklist is not a solution. One point I do agree with them. Well, I, I, I agree with the, the the end goal is uh, encouraging authors to ensure that preprints have been subsequently fully published, be marked as such on the preprint server and linked via DOI. Look, um, BioArchive yeah. does this. It, it does makes every effort to do this automatically. I think it's it's very easy when the when the paper title is the same. Um, and there is this ability to do this on OSF and other preprint servers. But this is one thing that I think could be done better because one thing I always do is whenever, whenever I find a preprint, first thing I'll check is, ah, oh, that preprint was put up two years ago, hasn't been published yet, and I'll do a quick check. Um, but I mean, if it's, it's, it's great when it actually says on the preprint server, yes, this has been peer reviewed now. Cause of course, if there's two articles, you're going to be citing the peer reviewed version of the article. So this is something that I, I, I do agree with. The, the next thing I talk about is, uh, post publication peer review. So this is the, the F1000 publishing method. And this is mm. a method I think is quite interesting because essentially you post your paper. And you can see how it progresses uh, a lot when it comes to peer review, and you can see you know that they'll have three three reviewers, and you, you can see the peer review, peer review process. So this, this is this is very interesting, and they but they they don't like it. They 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 say that the issues with this format are basically identical to those of preprints. So, but they say, oh well, papers the quality will be a little bit better because the APCs would discourage low quality submissions. Um, now. Uh, you really, you really think so? Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, I, 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 the, you know, my 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 problem, my problem with F one thousandism is pretty straightforward. I think, considering what they do, um, and what the the journal F one thousand research, what's its name, what it consists of, um, I think it's fucking expensive. What's what's their APC? Are we talking a couple of thousand? Well, hang on, let me um have a look. We actually got this question from a listener who who sent an email asking us what we think about this this approach of like sort of piecemeal academia where you 
It's not about Jesus the Christ Jesus. That that is the cat, folks. That's what he's that's oh. what he's talking about. I'm talking about. Yeah, I can't I can't stop him if I. Uh, this is you're gonna have to fucking you can screen cap this. I deal with this shit all day. <laughs> like it doesn't matter where I'm sitting. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. He he treats me as some kind of like mobile table slash sofa, and it's just it doesn't stop. We get we're getting some we're getting he, some purrs there he, on the mic. He as had well. a. Yeah, he had he has he's had a bunch of health problems and they're largely managed quite well now because we've spent a lot of time figuring out how to manage them. And the problem with that is now he's got a ton of energy and he wants to be everyone's friend, but he has absolutely no conception whatsoever of boundaries. And he will at half past four in the morning, he will stick his nose right up your nose, just so you know. So you shut him out of the room and then he scratches the door. Just in. like kids, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. But your kid doesn't have a paw that fits under the door and learns to rattle it forwards and backwards at half past four in the morning. No, it's not that bad. No, you can put him in kid jail. But you put him in, in cat jail and, um, you know, it, it just wouldn't go. And I don't want to put him in jail. Don't worry, buddy. You're being very disruptive, though. What were you saying? Um, oh Christ! Yeah, we'll talk about F one thousand. F one thousand. You said you're not a fan because the APC is too high. Is that right? Um, yeah, I had to look it up because it, it's changed a few times over the years, and I've just ne- literally never considered. Um, uh, I've, I've never considered uh, submitting that. So, data notes, correspondence, genome, genome notes, case studies, category A, uh, eight hundred dollar APC. Okay. Protocols, registered reports, software tools, brief reports, a thousand. Uh, research articles, method articles, antibody validation, systematic reviews, clinical practice articles, case reports, opinion articles, 1350. That is on the cheapest side of things. Yeah, I know, but it's uh, on the, on the cheaper side of things is not. I mean, you, you're paying a lot of money. It's, it's a lot of money. Uh, and especially if you've got a low author paper and PJ exists, I don't know why the fuck you'd use it. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I like the I like the model in that it is a compromise between this peer review paper that you see at the very end and mm. a preprint. And I like I think they were the ones to pioneer open peer review because you can see the peer reviews along the way. You can see how the authors are responding to the uh, to, to the reviewers. And I don't know. I, I quite like it. I've seen a few papers there, and you can just you can have a read, and you can see how the paper evolved over time. I think it's very instructive as well. Mm. Some of my students. Oh yeah, I mean, it's this. This is none, none of the ideas. None of the idea, like the whole conception of it. You've got to remember, but it's years old now. Sure. Um, I think it was fucking twenty years old or something when Taylor Taylor and Francis bought it. The Empire owns it now. Like you knew that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. Um, it doesn't mean they're going to change it. I mean, they're looking at it and then they're looking at it as a, a vehicle to be able to, uh, you know, control more stuff, have more market share, um, potentially potentially make more money. It's just a matter of um, uh, strategically acquiring assets that uh, let you control more of the space, which is why they own a portfolio of companies up and down the sort of- I've seen that, the, I've seen that the, figure. The, the value chains. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those, some of those figures are not even complete because the, the acquisitions keep coming. The thing, there's been a lot of talk within 
um, employment in general, about the great resignation. Everyone is quitting. Mm. Everyone's quitting their jobs. It's happening in the States, in Europe, in Australia, in a lot of places. Is this going to happen with academia as well? We like to think that academia is special, but is it going to happen there? No. Why? There. Done. Done? Oh, why? Um, ah. Well, for a, for a variety of reasons. Um, first of all, who's actually quitting work in the great resignation? It's not, it, it's primarily not like middle class and upper middle class professionals with a lot of remote options. It's some, sure, absolutely. But it's largely people are quitting terrible jobs. Um, it's like the conditions uh, suck. You know, and it's just like it's a it's a cultural backlash to shitty jobs. Now, there's jobs that are inherently shitty, and there's jobs that are made shitty. I don't think there's a, a a way. If you're the person who makes the McDonald's coffee, I don't think there's a way to unshit that. Even if people are, are real <laughs> real nice to you when you hand over the fucking creamer, um, but there's a, there's a way to unshit being an associate professor in sociology. So, in general, um, the, there's people have worked very hard to do what they're supposed to do, um, what they feel they're supposed to do, I suppose. Um, they are used in many respects to uh, the conditions that other people are rebelling against and other uh, other factors don't really enter into it. Like I said, like universities are follow government rules a lot of the time. So there are there are there's fairness. There are unions. There are there's a, a backbone of some form of staff protection a lot of the time. Um there are a tremendous amount of people also who are captured by the lifestyle, um, the headspace. They don't really know how to leave. I talked to a lot of people who, you know, I want to get a job in industry. What industry? I want to get a job in industry. Which one? Which industry? Doing what? For whom? Who have you talked to? What happens next? I don't know any of that stuff. I just think that this is bullshit. And a lot of those people don't fucking leave because they're they're strongly and primarily divorced from even the vaguest of commercial possibilities most of the time. Um, So... The whole idea of like a sudden or immediate hollowing out, I think, is reasonably unlikely, um, especially considering, you know, people are trying to keep their shit together right now in particular. And the moment you have uh, a lifestyle that requires money, um, things things have a tendency to change. Um, people tend to be a little bit more reticent to just like throw it all overboard and do something else. So... I think that the the academic culture and the sort of people who might be quitting to do this is is reasonably walled off from the the kind of flight to sanity that a lot of people who have Dave Graeber esque bullshit jobs or actually hard jobs like service jobs, which are actually challenging as opposed to being an assistant professor of sociology, which is largely complaining as far as I can tell. Ha, don't hit me. Don't hit me. It's a joke. It's a joke. Fuck. Save yourself a tedious exchange of emails and accept the fact that I'm joking now. So, Dan, I don't, I don't think that... I don't think that it's a 
a likely possibility. I think there's a far more selective hollowing out going on because I've been just consistently noticing it's picking up now, but for the last few years, people who I people who I really respect, um, think, oh, that's actually this person has original thoughts. This work is good. This is heavy. Like if they don't have academic jobs that are working for them, they have the presence of mind and the ability to leave. And I think the academy has lost some superb people uh, in the last year or two, uh, many of whom will probably hear this. And it's obviously a problem when all the good people leave. Which, but this is not great resignation. This is the fact that you can only hollow out the culture and the expectations and the lifestyle and all the rest of the good shit that's supposed to come along with it. You can only hollow it out so much. And I think what's far more of a threat than either what I'm describing uh, or any great-ish resignation um, is younger people getting to a point where they don't want to fucking sign up to make an eventual decision about it in the first place. Like when everyone who's 24 knows the problems that happen in like the problems that they can make for their life in graduate school and postdocs and junior faculty jobs and just how much, just how big the plate of shit is and how small the fork they will be handed is. Like when the admissions start to go down, I think that's when things start getting really interesting. When the big pipe is no longer quite so big because the vast bulk of either contract staff, junior contract staff and PhD students, they do most of the work, right? Now, if you throw a quarter of them away because it suddenly becomes a proper cultural understanding that we have, at least across the Anglosphere, I'm less sure about elsewhere, about the fact that this is all tremendously shitty. Um, it's not always shitty. I'm not trying to skite. It's just, it's obviously there are complications and there's some really horrible shit and a lot of very, very hard work on what might actually turn out through no fault of your own to be very, very dumb stuff. Um, when that happens, I think maybe, you know what I think would happen like the, the start of it, if someone made a movie like Clerks, you remember Clerks? Right. If someone made a movie like that that was about grad school and it was really super fucking popular, um, I, I wonder if um, I wonder if the, uh, the, the rot could set in there. I feel like that's more of a, a, an existential threat to like who's going to do all the fucking work because I mean also the answer right now is like you lose someone like, oh, I'm going to go elsewhere. University doesn't give a fuck. I'm like okay, well we can probably find a thousand billion people who <laughs> do your job because they're ostensibly qualified for it, but um, they're just not here. Let's just go get one of them. University doesn't give a fuck. But haven't, haven't we known for people? People know for decades that it is. It- can be a shit job to have. You can have long hours, bad pay. Everyone knows the pay is bad. 
So it's I not think bad. Dan. Okay, okay. I mean, also very much depends on you. The, the also very much depends on your perspective. I think there's there's two perspectives on this. Like, people who've had hard lives and have eaten a lot of shit would not think the pay was bad at all. I think in a lot of the senses it's okay. The the problem where the problem Jesus, it's him again. I think where the problem comes in, where the problem comes in is fuck's sake, you are. This is the most you've ever interrupted, like 150 episodes. This is the most you've ever interrupted a podcast. You are a bollocks. You're my bollocks, but you're still a bollocks. Right. Be quiet. Um, yeah. Same to you. The, uh, the problem is, Dan, that when you're talking about the development of real expertise in very large portions of the world people pay a lot of fucking money for real expertise in a lot of different contexts you know what i mean um and because of the the kind of promiscuity of digital tools and the interest in sort of collective behavior um and the fact that sort of software is eventually eating the world and behavior goes into that you see more and more and more of these jobs that are sort of human Jesus, human analyst related jobs where people are the sort of computational psychology people end up going, oh, fuck it, I'm going to go work for insert large company here because I'm doing essentially the same kind of shit. Um, as training gets better, um, people in PhDs eventually have more exits into uh, data science and engineering-ish spaces, even if they're not engineers. Engineers are a completely different story. Um, likewise, there's um, I've increasingly I've heard plenty of stories about philosophers and sociologists and shit like that getting jobs within the research infrastructure of, of large organizations because this is the thing. I mean, you've got very, very hard skills. You spend 15 years doing something like that. You know, like you... A lot of the time, people don't realize the true marketability of what they have when it comes to what would I do within a commercial organization. They can't imagine it, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. Um, and the more stories that are told about it and the more the understanding starts to change, it's not the money's bad, man. I mean, especially if you fucking grow up working a counter at Woolworths, the money's probably fucking fine. The thing that's a problem is that the, there's a lot of situations where the opportunities and the certainty and the conditions and the money are all better elsewhere. And that just so happens to coincide with the existence of expertise, which an awful lot of people who are academics genuinely have about something. You know? You think, honestly, you think some motherfucker who's been doing a, a 15 years worth of research into like online behavior and how people fill out surveys and psychometric theory and shit like that. You really think that person couldn't find a job? That'd be so valuable in the market. That wasn't at a university? That's like, I don't so know. So many companies. 180, 240. Yeah. Senior analyst. There's a, there's a, some motherfuckers like that can make a lot of money. Um. You're like more than us. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. 
it's it's hard though. I mean, this is one of the things that's really hard. A lot of people go, I'm going to do a degree because then I'm going to get a job. And graduate school a lot of the time doesn't really work like that. It's hard to go, do you know what I'll do? I think I'll do it. I think I'll just pop off and do a, a, a PhD in physics because eventually like some someone at Wall Street will give me a job being a fucking ad, a stock analyst or something because I'm going to learn a whole bunch of maths. Um, you can't just decide to do that. You know, it's fucking hard. Yeah. I mean, even even things in the like potentially less that require less kind of raw mental horsepower. You're not going to get to the end unless you're compelled to. So there's this self-selective mechanism involved. It's not like I'm going to get a bachelor's of business, with especially in marketing, because I want to go into marketing. I think maybe it's more. You know, I see the pile of shit and the tiny fork, and I'm <laughs> I going to put like four to six years into eating all that. Because I am compelled to know more about this thing. It's interesting to me. It's the uh, human curiosity. And you could pop out the other side of that and then go, oh, fuck, I actually know something now. Maybe someone will pay me. P- people are more valuable than they think. They really, they really are. They really are. And I've had, this is something that's just happening to me more and more. With people who are, people who are getting out. I don't know what it is. I think it's because I wrote about it. I was so fucking loud about it when I did it. Um, I was so disgusted, especially with like considering the, the going back to Australia at the time with just how badly universities were managing the, the, the plague shit at the time. Um, and I feared the, the great hollowing out of a lot of funding stuff. Um, I just saw it getting, cause it was already bad. I just saw it getting worse and worse and worse. Um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, I stayed up nights reading university budgets and fucking news from all over the world and just trying to figure out, like, what's I think of this as a market. What's going to happen to this? And it was very hard to avoid the conclusion that um, just for years, unless something was aggressively done, the suck that it had now was going to be replaced with that plus bonus suck. Um, and at that point in time, considering, you know, all the other occasional fracas that I've had with people within the, the, the sort of infrastructure more broadly, it made no sense because I saw no longevity in it within that framework. And you say that and people came out of the woodwork to talk to me about it. I think it's probably the thing I've said that was most consequential in public where you know, not where it's like like lonely, angry graduate students in some basement lab write to me and go, hey, it's nice of you to make fun of those motherfuckers. I, are you saying something and I don't feel like I'm allowed to say it, but you said it and you don't seem to give a shit. So that's nice. I like I like those I like those notes because I mean you get to say thank you. But a lot of people who are five to ten years older than me or my age with proper jobs writing to me to go, Can we talk about this? That happened a lot. And it's still happening. And that's where my perspective on the hollowing comes from. That's not the great resignation. It's it's something else. It's something else. It represents something else. Uh, okay. Either I have to feed this cat or I have to perform a fucking living autopsy <laughs> on him. So close it. Let's close it up. Before we finish, I just want to give one tip. Uh, if you haven't already, sign up for LinkedIn. LinkedIn gets a lot of shit, but I think it has a lot of value in that it will suggest uh, indus- uh, industry jobs that align with your interest. So if you fill out your your, your profile, 
properly. It's just very interesting actually seeing the sort of jobs that are out there. So even if you think to yourself, I'm never going to go to industry, sign up because you're going to get some really interesting jobs or the suggestions for, for job advertisements coming your way for the sort of stuff that you have your expertise in. So yeah, LinkedIn, underrated. But yes, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with a new episode of Everything Hurts. See you later. Bye.